Welcome back to the Weekly Struggle Podcast. Today I got a very special guest, Kurt Bender. Uh, Kurt, you live over in Montana, right? Yes, sir, in Belgrade, which is just outside of Bozeman. Oh, what's it like over there? Uh, recently it's been really, really hot. It's been, I don't know, probably about 90 every single day. And oh, I'm not going to complain about it, you know, one bit because... This last winter was really cold for a really long time, so I'm I'm enjoying the sun while it's here. Oh, geez. Yeah, it just finally started raining here in Washington the last yesterday and today. But other than that, it's been like in the 80s, some days 90s. But, is the uh, smoke coming from there or is it still coming from Canada? Uh, Honestly, I... Don't know. I don't live on the east side anymore where all the fires usually are. Oh, so, okay. Uh, it's probably a mixture of Canada, and I'm sure. I think I heard of there was a fire somewhere over there. Um, shoot, where was it? Somebody was somebody posted a video yesterday of planes dipping into. Oh, that was over by uh, Moses Lake. There's a fire over there. Oh, okay. That would make sense because the last couple of nights it's been, you know, cool looking sunset, but. You know, you can tell that it's smoky coming from somewhere. Yeah, the old red sun. <laughs> and you were living in Easton for a second, right? Yeah, I was in Ellensburg for almost a year, and then Easton for three or four years, and then a couple of months ago, maybe three months ago now, moved back to Enumclaw. Okay, so, nice. Is that when you started working for the for the train company? No, I started for working for the railroad back in October. And then so the whole winter, I was commuting over Snoqualmie Pass. Oh, man, that had to have sucked. Oh, it was terrible. So many idiots on the road don't know how to drive in the snow. Well, what happens uh, when they close the pass? You're just like, yeah, I can't come. Yeah, so that's like weather-related absences are like the only thing that they will excuse. So... It's kind of annoying. Are you working for BNSF or? Yeah. Okay. So I just uh, work on cars, okay. inspect tracks, trains. Because my godfather works for, not for BNSF, it's somebody they contract, um, Wobtech. So he works at the train depot that's up in, um, up in Haver and they do all the, the rebuilds and stuff like that. So. Oh, Yeah. When you get an inspection port in the side of one of the trains, he's got to fix it. Like a inspection port? Are you talking about like a four port, like for air brakes? No, like when the whole thing blows up. Oh. And <laughs> blows a hole in the side <laughs> of the block, he's got to figure out what happened. Oh, yeah. Surprisingly enough, like the air brake valves and stuff, they haven't changed a whole lot since like what 1970s or something i mean they did minor tweaks and stuff now they got this new valve out that's like a has a brake cylinder maintaining feature but those are like brand new so i don't see them very much plus mm -hmm. i'm in the yard now so i don't really do many air tests anymore it's very rare interesting yeah yeah trains are something else because it makes so much power that if something goes wrong it goes really wrong really quick Oh yeah, and that's a lot of weight. And nowadays <laughs> they're they're running car or running trains that are in some places they're running them where they're 
like 200 and some odd cars long and there i saw videos of i don't know where it was but it was like a it was a bunch of auto racks so it was a train hauling cars basically and uh they were the train dies which means like the crew dies because they're only allowed to uh work 12 hours so when they hit their 12 hour mark they have to stop and uh halcon um that's just shuttle company so they drive around in their suburbans and stuff and they'll come out and then they'll pick up that crew and drop off a new crew and then they can get moving again but there was these videos of kids trying to get to school and they were crossing underneath auto racks like under the couplers and stuff like oh man they don't know to look for like brake cylinders out or anything like that so at any moment in time they the train could start rolling one dude was like throwing his bike under in between the rails oh. and it's just like it was <laughs> it was horrible to watch so a couple of uh, years ago, I used to work out at this really tiny K-12 school um, in Harrison, Montana. And there were tracks that went through the, the middle of that town. And I remember somebody from BNSF or whoever it might have been or Montana Rail came in and did a whole train safety course because they caught some kids going underneath the cars like that. And yeah, they didn't like that very much. So they had to come in and do a whole safety talk on what to do when there's trains that are stopped and things that can go wrong and all the, you know, the horror stories that go along with, with that whole thing. But yeah, shit's pretty wild. I mean, did you see that video I posted on Facebook not that long ago that, uh, that crackhead like rolling underneath this train as it's going by, it was a bunch no, of, I didn't. Tank, it was a bunch of tank cars and this guy was like, I don't know. The thing wasn't going very fast. I mean, it was only going like, maybe 25, 30 miles an hour, maybe that still seems a little much, but he was like, it was a, a normal crossing. And he, he walked up underneath the, like the signal arm and he was like barrel rolling underneath. And he got like in the middle of the tracks and he rolled back out. And then the wheel set, like just barely missed him. And he did it like three or four times. And then eventually he like just dove under and got across. And you know, crackheads are something else. Like, I haven't seen that, but I'm going to have to go look at that now. But I'm sure you've seen videos of crackheads that'll, like, jump off the top of buildings and do, like, a barrel roll and then just get up and walk away. Yeah, no, dude, this stuff is crazy. And, like, if I sleep wrong, I wake up and I'm like, wow, my back hurts. What did I do? I wasn't even awake. Man, I swear those guys are indestructible. Yeah, super fiend for a reason, I guess. Yeah. Some stuff just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> yeah, that being a prime example. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, I found the video. Um, Here, watch this. I'm going to tag you in it. Okay. So you can go on there and watch it. I guess just try not to blast it into your freaking <laughs> Yeah, don't have my sound right into it. But yeah, his... Uh, honestly, I don't even know if there's any... There might be... I might have put music to that one. But... uh, Yeah, man, people are... People are nuts. Dude, I can't believe. No that. way. <laughs> yeah, dude. He that guy. <laughs> the guy who's filming this is probably like, I'm gonna film this because this guy's gonna die, and they're gonna need evidence of what happened. 
He, yeah, he almost lost his leg when he finally squirmed out of the way. <laughs> and he's uh, not making it by very much. No, well, he might not even be alive anymore today. Yeah, maybe not if he's doing things like that. This can't be his first rodeo. No, he might. He probably heard he went viral and probably started trying to do it some more. Hey, look at me. I got nine lives. <laughs> unnecessary anxiety about somebody that I have no idea even who it is. Yeah. Yeah, I get anxiety looking at st stupid stuff like that on the internet all day long. So the, the weird things that, that give me existential crisis is those videos of people doing spacewalks and all of a sudden they turn around from the planet and you just see like the sun and then you see nothing. That absolutely freaks me out. I have no desire to ever go to space. Seems super scary. Yeah, and then but... also submarines where it's basically the same thing, you know, it's just a void. It just fills me with existential dread for absolutely no reason. It just makes you feel like you're going to implode. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Get it? The submarine. Oh, yeah. Little, a little on the nose there, which is hilarious. Yeah. I actually just saw a video last night of somewhere, maybe it was like North Carolina or something. Somebody's like, huh, just right here in this uh, in this yard, it looked like the Titan sub. And somebody had like a, a tarp over it. And then there was like a tugboat looking thing that said Ocean Gate on it, parked next to it. And it was Weird. like the Titan sub, basically. It's like, oh, man. That's a conspiracy right there. Like, did they actually go down there? Because there's no footage from that mission or whatever of them actually unloading off the boat and going down. Unlike the other times, like this guy that filmed his whole journey going down with those guys like the week prior. And they, that was all on video, but this time it wasn't. And supposedly all these billionaires went down there. This one guy drug his kid along and then I guess they imploded and yeah, and then but the only footage they really have is them uh, pulling up all the debris. Maybe so. let's get a little Joe Rogany for a second here, and you know maybe they fake their own deaths because of some insurance scam or something. Who knows? They don't want to pay. They don't want to pay taxes anymore. Maybe that's it. So if they're legally dead, they never have to pay taxes again. Yeah, I actually saw that in the comments of that video. It was on TikTok. That would be. I'm not trying to make light of this situation, but if that actually was real, I would honestly find that really hilarious. I know. I'm tired of paying all these damn taxes. I'm just going to fake being dead. <laughs> yeah. Not that I think any billionaire talks like that, but uh, I'm sure I'm sure some of them do. Some Texas oil magnate. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I ain't paying no damn taxes. <laughs> no taxes for me. Ah, uh, man. Well, should we get into it here? Yeah, we should probably get into the meat of this podcast. <laughs> We've done a good 10, 10 minutes of <laughs> of bullshit, right. conspiracy theories and stuff. Oh, it's perfect. So, oh, yeah. You got to lighten the mood, I guess. Uh, but anyway, I guess uh, I don't really... I mean, we're we're good friends, but I haven't really known... I didn't really hang out with you way back in the day when you were hanging out with Dana because I was still a youngster. So, uh, yeah, you... not very much on screen time together yet. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, uh, I guess, uh, 
why don't you give us a little bit, a little story about yourself there? Well, so I think the main thing to know that would sort of differentiate this from from other episodes is that I'm um, a musician. I play in two bands. Um, I play drums for a band called Liquid Nar, and then I play guitar for another band called Brother Venus. And Liquid Nar. Yep. That's pretty sick. And then I'm also a middle school band teacher. So oh. my my life revolves around music a lot, but it's you know very much stratified between those two things because yeah, they're related by music, but it's you know it's not really the same thing at all. And both have sources of of I guess stress and anxiety and you know kind of getting down on yourself for one reason or another. Yeah, for sure. So basically, you're doing what you uh, what you love to do for work. So it's not really like you're working then. Well, so I guess that's a very good point to start with is yes and no. Um, I love music, obviously. And it's nice to have a job that involves music. But um, anybody else who's a teacher out there, it doesn't matter what you teach, you're your job says teacher, but really you got to wear about 12 different hats in any given day. You got to be somebody's therapist and their counselor. Um, you got to be a public relations person. You got to deal with parents. You got to deal with coworkers. And you got to know every illness that every kid has and what they're allergic to. And you might have to save their life if they're allergic to peanuts and they eat a peanut. So you're, you know, you're wearing a lot of different hats, and unfortunately, the the uh, the music wearing hat is kind of not really the one that gets worn a lot. It's mostly the, okay, here's how you be quiet and sit in a chair so that I can teach you something. And that's <laughs> yeah. The vast majority of what you're gonna do, which I'm sure you are very well familiar with having kids of your own. Right, but I mean, you're dealing with middle schoolers that are how old? Um, so fifth grade through eighth grade, so anywhere from like 10 to 13. Yeah. So, I mean, those ones, those kids might be a little, well, they could be monsters, but I mean, my kids are kind of monsters. They're four and three. So, I mean, they don't really listen sometimes, but I mean, like a 10 year old to 15 year old, I mean, they'll probably listen a little bit better when you're stern with them my kids sometimes they'll just basically laugh in my face and i'm like what the hell <laughs> you people are terrible yeah no, it's like it's, i wonder who you got that from me you know it's kind of funny because uh kids that are younger than about fifth grade i'm really not familiar with how they operate and those kids actually intimidate me more just for that reason oh really? the middle schoolers have their own they have their own idiosyncrasies and, and weird things, especially because they're not your kids. You know, they're somebody else's kids. So you can try to make them be upstanding members of society and have manners and all that. But ultimately, that relies and rests with the parents. And some kids have parents that are amazing and, you know, teach them that stuff. And some kids are not so lucky to have um, parents that will do that for them so you can try but if not being reinforced at home sometimes you got not a whole lot of luck going on right because you might be the only positive role model in that kid's life and 
and they never really tell you you know they're not really at that age where they want to be like oh you're, you're like super inspirational to me or they don't know how to say it um but they might think you're the coolest person ever but they will still be a dick to you every day and then the very last day of school they'll be like yeah you're my favorite teacher it's like <laughs> you could have had sure me didn't there, show dude. it <laughs> yeah dude because like I said, some of them don't have any positive role models at home, which is just super sad. So yeah, a lot of kids, a lot of kids out there, they don't, they don't even go home to, to love and they're, uh, or they're like abused or something like that. And they don't show it, but school is like their, uh, their escape from, from their home life, their reality. And so they, you know, some of them, you know, they like, to bond with all their teachers and stuff and uh sometimes or they bottle it all up and they are a dick to you and they you know they don't know how to open up and then... yeah every kid handles every situation differently you know just you know because everybody's different everybody's got their own way of how they're going to choose to deal with stuff and yeah some of those kids don't go home to you know a stable house or a loving household which when you're a teacher and you kind of start to see the signs of that it it breaks your heart a little bit because you know as someone who doesn't have kids when you feel like you might be more prepared to be a parent than some of these parents that do have kids you're kind of like wow that's a little bit interesting isn't it yeah most definitely it's kind of it's pretty heartbreaking really i mean absolutely and that's you know that's another thing that that weighs on a lot of teachers is you got a lot of kids that have a lot of home life problems. Either you're a psychopath and you can totally just like, have you ever seen that severance show where like, you don't remember anything that you did at work and who you are at work. You don't remember anything you did at home. I mean, I guess I if haven't. you're a psychopath, it, it's a pretty good show on Apple TV. I just finished that first season. Um, but it, you know, some people can just leave that at the doorstep, but I don't, you know, that's really hard to do because, you know, you might learn that a kid's dad went to jail or something. And I mean, there's nothing you can do about it except be there for the kid, but it just, it's something that you think about and it can weigh yeah. on you a lot sometimes. Right. And then if you try to, if you try to do something, I mean, yeah, I guess you could get in trouble for trying to dig into a, like a kid's personal life. Oh yeah, or, there's o there's only so much that you are allowed to do, or that you're even allowed to tell people in terms of like, you know, name specific and things like that. So, right. You know, as long as long as you're vague, you're probably going to be okay. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of confidential documents that I have in my desk at any given time, and I'm supposed to remember these things. And it's just a lot, dude. So to sort of bring that point back around, like, yeah, I'm a I'm a band teacher, but there's a lot of other things that I got to do in any given day that almost have to come before any of that, you know, because ultimately it comes down to the well-being of the kids. Right. So that's, yeah, I, I haven't really been at school very much because it's summer. So I haven't really been thinking too much about that, but have been getting, you know, things sort of put together for this upcoming school year because unfortunately it's going to be here before I'm ready for it but yeah I've always be, wondered I've always wondered what teachers 
<laughs> oh, oh, dang. I've always wondered what teachers do, like, in the summertime and their off time, like, how much work they actually have to do. Some, te- some teachers have to do a lot because, you know, being a band teacher, your your life isn't dominated so much by grades like, say, a math teacher or a science teacher where they have just assignment upon assignment upon assignment that they got a grade every single day and can keep up on that stuff. Usually the teachers that end up staying, you know, cause we got to be there until four, the kids leave at three 30. And that's when you get to do things like do your grading and stuff. The teachers that are there long after that, that I've known are usually the math teachers and the science teachers, you know, for, for me, it's not so much of that unless I got a concert or something that I'm, getting ready for but you know you don't get paid past four but there's a lot of teachers that are working well past four every single day and well before eight every single day because their day is dominated by meetings about kids and you know department meetings and all of that stuff that you don't you know you use all your time that you would have used to grade but you still have to get it done so you got to take it home with you and do it like that so that's kind of one of the shit ends of the stick of being a salary job. Again, not so much for me, but for a lot of those core class teachers. Yeah, they still don't get paid enough. Yeah, that's that's another really interesting topic to me, too, because um, it depends on where you are. You know, teachers in, in Washington, especially depending on the district, they make pretty damn good money. I mean, even for as expensive as some of those areas are, but if you look at the breakdown by state, Montana's teacher salary versus cost of living is like 47th or 48th in the nation. So it's pretty bad. And this area is also pretty expensive too. So yeah, for sure. It's, I mean, we, we have a lot of teacher turnover in our specific district because of that, because the area is so expensive and yeah our district does pay well comparatively to other districts but not compared to for example how expensive houses are around here like god damn yeah for sure like right. my buddy i got very mixed there. feelings about about some of that stuff but yeah I'm, I'm not gonna get too political into that because although i'm a teacher it's usually not you know not the political right. leaning that the union would like for me to have, which is just fine with me because I'm not in the union. So don't really care. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had a buddy, him and his family went over there for a, for a vacation or something. I don't know if this is last summer, maybe, but they're basically getting fed up with Washington state. Like screw this place. Inslee's running this place into the ground blah 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 and so they went and went for a road trip and scoped out montana because they were like let's find let's go find a house and so and they found out like oh i mean the cost of living may might be a little bit cheaper but i mean the houses are the same same price if not more and you know it wouldn't be wouldn't be much different and then i guess if we my buddy also works for the railroad. Um, we could transfer to any other state and uh, we'd still make the same amount of money. As long as we're staying in the same craft uh, as a carman, um, we would still make the same amount of money. 
but I mean, if housing's more expensive and the cost of living is just a little bit less, I mean, what's the point? It's not. Well, the the point is that you don't have to deal with some of the problems that you have to deal with when you're living in Western Washington, like getting packages stolen off your porch every other week or having tweakers scope your house. Like, yeah, sure, that's the thing that does happen. But I mean, if someone gets murdered in this whole Gallatin County area, it's like a big deal because it just it doesn't happen very much. So it's like the talk of the town, you know, if if something like that goes down. So no, hey, relax. <laughs> you don't even know what you're barking at. There's no one here. So um, what's the what's the population there? Oh, anymore. I think I think the Gallatin County area is like forty thousand, but. That's wow. that's kind of the thing though is there's a there's a college here Montana State University is here which is where I went to school and how I ended up here. So there's a lot of tourism in the summer and then there's also, you know, a lot of college kids that are here um during the school year. So the the real shit end of the stick on this is during COVID what ended up happening was a lot of these people with remote jobs from like the East Coast or wherever were like, oh, well, I don't want to deal with any of the COVID restrictions here that I voted for. So I'm going to go to Montana where it's more relaxed. And then they'd still get to work their six figure remote job. Then they would just be able to buy a house sight unseen, doesn't matter. And so the inventory was so low that prices just skyrocketed. And it's yeah. just become a, a rich person playground now. And they're kind of fucking the whole thing up. Because I moved here to get away from all of that ideology and stuff that is running rampant in Western Washington and causing a lot of people to leave. I don't want that to follow me here. Like, I, I think you should get to vote with your feet and, you know, live where you agree with, ideologically speaking. You know, you shouldn't have to live anywhere. And so the fact that all these people are buying these houses that sit vacant for you know, 10 months out of the year, it's just really kind of fucked everything up around here. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people would probably get mad at me for, you know, playing into that because I'm, I'm not a local, I'm not from here. And it's like, well, okay, true. But also I didn't come here with gobs and gobs of money just to buy everything up. Yeah. I mean, it's not like you're some guy from California transplanting himself to Montana. Yeah, also a big problem. And you can usually tell who those people are just by looking at them. <laughs> yeah. Not not to be too judgy about it, but you, you can usually tell. And it's like, do you really want to be here? Or do you just think you want to be here because you watch that Yellowstone show? <laughs> I was just about to say that. You no, know, I watched that for a little bit. And I, I kind of got to the point where I was a little bit bored of it. But one of the seasons was actually like, you know, we had high expectations for it, and then that's that season was just boring. I don't know if it was season three. I think season here. three is where I kind of got out of it, so it's probably season three. Yeah, it was like a, I mean, like season two was intense, and then like maybe it was season three where it was just like this is kind of boring, right? And, then... and and not to blame that show specifically for all of this, but I I do think it is sort of contributing a little bit. Which is funny because most of that show isn't even filmed in Bozeman at all. A lot of it, yeah. like 
there will be downtown segments and it's like okay yeah they got a camera shot of driving down main street bozeman very cool and then the next scene it's like you can totally tell that's downtown in missoula somewhere yeah like anybody (laughs) that's from here is like that's not bozeman that's missoula yeah there's a lot of uh i don't exactly know what towns or cities or whatever in montana are basically taken over by liberals but um is it bozeman ones bozeman yeah not bozeman is like a different type though it's like the really ritzy people which is where it kind of gets that more like east coast elitist sort of people that are moving here a lot whereas places like missoula seem to be way more like californian like pot smoking hippie man maybe they're not moving (laughs) here with a bunch of money but they just they're tired of the big city but i want to bring the big city lifestyle with me man yeah it kind of depends missoula is definitely more so that way and and bozeman is but the surrounding areas kind of aren't and then you get to a place like billings which is our biggest our biggest city and i think Billings proper has like a hundred thousand people in it, and the surrounding area has like two hundred thousand people. So, to anybody else, it doesn't seem like a lot, but when you look at it in terms of that's like a fifth of the population of the state, kind of puts it in perspective a little bit. Billings yeah. has got some problems, you know, some some drug problems. It's a lot like Spokane, actually. Whereas like the south side, it's toward the railroad tracks and towards I ninety, a little bit dumpier, you know a little bit more run down, more so druggy. But then you go north of town and there's some really nice places. Yeah, a lot of people refer to it as uh, Spocompton. It definitely is Spocompton. Again, <laughs> yeah. places where you go, you're like, I don't want to be here at all. And then you go like five minutes north, you're like, wow, this is a nice neighborhood. I could live here. Yeah, I mean, it's basically what I notice is like uh, when I was driving driving over that way i've only been over that way a couple times but like when we went over to uh gold creek lodge for the bachelor party oh yeah i mean i noticed like you come come in to the first part of spokane and it was like wow i look like this looks like i'm in tacoma right now and then we proceeded on and then we uh got closer to idaho and we stopped at fred meyer and stuff like oh man this actually is pretty nice and then you get kind of farther out of town and then it's then it's beautiful and yeah like, like liberty lake and anywhere north of that is super nice yeah i'd like i always thought about moving to idaho just like just barely into idaho somewhere and then uh commute back over into washington for work but i mean now where i'm working if i were to be able to transfer to a yard in idaho i'd still get paid the same so I guess that wouldn't really matter anymore, but I guess taxes are probably a little different over there. Yeah, I don't know if Idaho has a state income tax or not because Montana does, but it's not very high, but there's no sales tax here, which I I have a little bit mixed feelings about. I think I think we should get rid of, well, I think we should get rid of most taxes, let's be real, but I think we should <laughs> yeah. get rid of the state income tax in favor of a sales tax because again that you know would tax all the tourists and all the rich people that just use it as a playground a little bit more right so i feel like and just in general that seems like the most fair way to do taxes because then you're taxed on what you buy so if you don't have a whole lot of money you're not buying a whole lot of stuff so you're not being taxed a lot versus if you're super rich and you're buying 
lots of really expensive stuff, well, you're going to pay for that in, in your sales tax. Not that I claim to be all knowledgeable about that or have the perfect solution, but I think maybe that might work a little bit better in terms of de-incentivizing some of those people to take up all the houses that they don't actually live in. Yeah, for sure. Like, there's a lot of that over on the east side of Washington. I mean, most of the houses over there are second homes that get used uh, just, you know, a couple times a month in the summertime. And then in the wintertime, like in Suncadia, they, uh, you know, they're all rich people, whatnot. I think Inslee uh, actually has a place in Tumble Creek, unless he sold it. But uh, that's next to Suncadia, basically. It's the same thing, almost. Um I want to say like, they had some sort of court case or something about all the vacant houses or verbos or whatever in uh, Lake Chelan. Oh, they did? Yeah. I can't remember whatever became of that, but I remember reading about that somewhere. That was a couple of years ago, maybe two. I don't know. Ever since COVID, time has just turned into an amoebas blob. Maybe it's just yeah. going to get older, too. Yeah, that'll happen on these big jobs. Yeah. You know, some things seem like it was three years ago and it was actually like a year ago. And then some things feel like it was yesterday and it's actually like five years ago. But I think that's yeah, half dude. to do with, with COVID time and half to do with just getting old. You know, it's, it's pretty rude that um, 2000 isn't 10 years ago. <laughs> I, I think my timeline is permanently stuck like 2009, 2010. So things that I think were 10 years ago. We're now like 25 years old. Yeah, I know, right? Like my damn, my truck's already 16 years old. Wait, no. Yeah, yeah. 16, 17 years old. Yeah, all my cars are over 20, 21 years old. Yeah, the Forerunner's 20, 24 years old. The Honda's 20, 20 years old. <laughs> it's like, and they still seem kind of like the Honda seems like it's pretty modern like in the interior and stuff, but it's like, damn, I wonder what they look like nowadays. New cars Crazy. today are just basically spaceships. Yeah, I know. I don't like them. I don't like I, all the stupid assist features and stuff. I find nothing appealing about them, really. I think yeah. the last, like, cool generation of cars ended pretty much, like, I don't know. Well, when, whenever they got rid of the Viper, realistically, that was, like, the last really cool like analog car where the only reason that it had abs was because the government said you have to have it they're like damn now we got to put that in there because those things had nothing to save you if you were an idiot you were going to turn one of those around in five seconds right but that that time period from like you know 2004 basically to the the economic crash in 2008 those were like my last sort of favorite cars like pontiac had the the GTO, which was really a Holden, but had an LS3 in it. Those are super awesome. Or LS2, sorry. The 6-liter. Um, the Cadillac CTSV, I think those are sweet. And then that's when they first brought the the Charger and the Challenger back. I think those are pretty cool. But Aren't yeah, they discontinuing them? Yeah, they are, and that's a super huge bummer, too, because now they're just going to focus more on the you know, the electric car stuff, which I'm never going to buy a new car anyway, but that just doesn't appeal to me at all because I've got no idea how they work or anything like that. But 2035, they want everything yeah. electric, no diesel trucks. I'll probably be in prison for driving my truck rolling coal on nerds. 
Well, that's the thing is, we'll probably have to grandfather those in because they can't just expect that everybody's going to buy all new vehicles. I just don't think they're going to make any ICE um, ICE vehicles after that point is what the deal is. So they're sort of forcing the automaker's hand with that because it was like California having special emissions. So like the Dodge trucks, they had a special way detuned version so it would pass California emissions. Everybody just got tired of making like a regular emission system. Oh, and then we have to have the special one for California. So all the states just started adopting California's emission rules. And now that's just what everybody has to deal with. So that's basically all Inslee does. Anything California does, he copies them. It's like, oh, yeah. I gotta do that too. He, he certainly is a wannabe Californian. Yeah. So it's like California, Oregon, and Washington. They're all like hand in hand with their crap. And it's terrible. Like, Oregon's a beautiful state. Now it's just turned into crap also. Well, Washington is interesting because I think the area is super beautiful, like Western Washington. But only between the months of July and August. Other than that, I could care less about ever going there because I just think the weather is horrible other than in July and August. Yeah, living over there in Easton for four years. I mean, it was awesome in the summertime because there's so many lakes close by there's like lake kachis in the backyard lake cleelum just up and over the ridge there um lake ketchalis that's up on top of uh snoqualmie pass there but i mean that one's just full of stumps and then there's like there's lake easton right there it's a small lake um but I mean, there's just lakes everywhere, and it's awesome in the summertime. There's all sorts of riding trails, wheeling trails everywhere. Uh, you get up up on top of the ridge, see mountain goats, and then. But in the winter time, it's just like, oh, one night it snowed four feet in twelve hours, and everybody was snowed in. They weren't plowing the pass because there was no plow drivers because everybody at DOT quit or got fired for not getting vaccinated. No, oh, that was and really was smart of them. Yeah, that wasn't it. Yeah. And I like a couple months before that, I mean, I got fired from the city of Seattle for not getting it because I put my foot down, stood my ground along with a lot of other people. And, you know, they lost like 70 percent of operations because of it. I I was honestly worried about that, too, because, you know, being a government employee, if they I'm not sure even what they did in Washington, whether or not they mandated it, but. I remember people were starting to talk about it here and I think it was right before they were going to even start entertaining that idea. I think it was our Montana legislature said that, nope, you can't make any requirement based on that because that's discrimination. And I think we were the first state to do that. So it never ended up happening, but well, that's um, good. yeah, I got pretty lucky with that because again, not really to get into all that horse shit too much because everybody's just, fatigued about it but everybody's got their opinion i just didn't want to i don't want to be forced really to do anything and usually if the government tells me that i have to do something it probably means it's a horrible idea and i should probably do the opposite gonna give me exactly some some sort of list i'm sure but yep i just i gotta see the efficacy and the data behind stuff and unfortunately when something just comes out you don't have longevity studies on on that sort of thing so I'm not saying that it does or doesn't do anything, but you know, it sketched me out a little bit to not to not know. 
And yeah. It, it was my choice to, to not have that if I didn't want to have it. And other people, it was their choice to have it and good for them, you know? Especially like months, like a few months in, and then people are healthy, people are randomly just dropping dead. It's like, oh, well, that's sketchy. Yeah, it's like, is that the cause or isn't? They're probably never going to tell you either way. Nope. So I guess we won't really know what's going on for however many more years. We don't know the we don't know the side effects. Well, you know, the government's never done anything sketchy before ever, right? So <laughs> Yeah. I got unfettered trust in our in our federal government. Yep. Well anyway, I guess we should probably switch some gears here and get more. Yeah, into... sure. Go for it. Um so anyway, you were talking about you're a musician and a school teacher. Yeah. Um, I guess let's go let's go back. I guess tell me about your uh, your life. Kind of touch on some of the struggles you went through growing up up until now. Well, so music has kind of always been a thing that I enjoyed doing and you know, seemed to always be kind of good at, I guess. You know, some kids are like that with sports and that that wasn't really me. I was never like the worst on the team, but I was certainly never the best and I wasn't going to make it on any like, you know, select baseball or anything like that. So I did a lot of sports when I was younger and I'm glad I did, but it, it just sort of went by the wayside once, once the music started to become more involved. So when I was in fifth grade, when I turned 10, I got my parents got me an electric guitar and some guitar lessons. So I started playing guitar and that was the summer before uh, fifth grade. So then I started playing trumpet and band. So I played those for a long time. And then my parents wanted me in piano lessons. So I did that for a hot minute. And I was one of those kids that had braces for literally ever. So I had them <laughs> on and off two different times. And anybody that plays a brass instrument has had braces you got to relearn how to play that damn thing every time you get them on or off. So after like the fifth time of learning how to play the trumpet, I was like, well, I just, I want to play the trombone because where the mouthpiece rests, it wasn't right on top of the brackets, which hurt my shit when I was playing <laughs> trumpet. So I was like, okay, trombone hurts less to play. So I'm going to figure out how to play this because my dad's a trombone player. So ended up playing trombone for a while and then got into playing drums but it just sort of, you know, spiraled out of control from there, basically. And I knew I was never going to be like an engineer or anything like that. I just, math was not really a good thing for me. And I, I learned that pretty early. And that pretty much puts you out of most, most jobs that are going to make you a lot of money, unfortunately. And I was like, well, shit, what am I going to do? And when, it's a lot easier when you're younger to have those sort of, you can call them like dreams and aspirations, but you can also call them delusions of grandeur where you're like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to make it in a band and that's what I'm going to do. Right. That's, you know, ultimately even today what I'm still trying to do, but as you get older, you get a little bit more realistic of a view about, especially now how hard that is to do because the, the model is so much different than it ever used to be, you know, like back in the seventies and eighties, you really had to know how to play. Like you had to be good. It, you know, video killed the radio star, right? So it didn't matter if you were super ugly 
or whatever, as long as you were good, you were probably going to get picked up by a label. Now, whether or not your record did good is, you know, up to a lot of factors after that. But anymore, there's so many good musicians and the the record label model just isn't really a thing anymore. All those companies started to lose their ass after the whole Napster thing came out and they were super slow to adopt streaming and want anything to do with that. So now they only sign artists that they know are going to make tens of millions of dollars and everybody else you maybe can get signed to a smaller label or you can just do it yourself. So it's, it's sort of the dichotomy of there's so many talented people now and anyone with a microphone can make recordings and it's not prohibitively expensive to do that. But at the same time, that makes it that much harder to stand out and have, you know, one of those bigger labels or anything like that come in and want to invest in you. And so that was the thing that, you know, kind of started my whole anxiety about being a musician and wanting to make that my life is when I was, you know, getting into high school and then soon after, that's when that started being like the most difficult that it was ever going to be. And I was like, okay, I got to find something to do. I know I'm talking myself in a lot of, a lot of circles here. I tend to do that, but about that time it was like, you know, I got to have some sort of plan because my parents really want me to go to school and they don't want me to be a poor dirtbag musician living week to week, which good for them, (laughs) you know, (laughs) for having me have some sort of expectations of myself. So I was like, okay, well, I'm really into band and music and stuff. So I could probably, you know, be a music teacher. So I ended up coming out here and going to Montana State for uh, K-12 Music Ed. And I'll tell you what, that program is so fucking hard. Like, to the point where I would have a roommate who who is an accountant major or accounting major. He would have, like, you know, maybe three to five classes a semester. And just the way that the music ed program is set up, you can only take, it's like 120 or 125 credit hours in a degree to graduate. But you also, according to the music education board, you have to take all these classes because you have to be qualified in all this stuff. So what they do is they make a lot of your classes there really should be two and three credit classes into one credit classes. And so there was never a single semester where I wasn't in less than 10 classes. Now that includes some ensembles and stuff, which sure you weren't like studying for this math test, but you had to practice your music and be ready for your performance. So it was just so time consuming and so draining that by the time I got to my junior year of that program, which is really where it started to get super hard, like just cranked up. I was in this band at the time called the Bent Bones and we were starting to do pretty good. Like we were easily one of the biggest local bands and we're playing um, one of the biggest venues that local bands really could play and selling it out. So we were doing really good. And so about that same time, I was like, well, I guess I should probably just finish this degree because I'm already this much into it. And it's, going to be fucking useless to me to have half a degree you know so I was like okay I'm going to stay here I'm going to finish it out and by the time graduation came around 
I had no interest in being a teacher because, you know, this, the Ben Bones, we were doing pretty good. And at that time, <clears throat> we, we had discussed moving to a bigger market because there's only so much that you can do from out here. Because in terms of a musical landscape, Bozeman is the middle of nowhere. You know, if you want to see a big touring show, the closest places that most of them usually come is like Denver or Salt Lake, which is only seven hours away, or Seattle. So we were getting to the point where we were starting to try to think about, okay, if we want to really do this, we probably can't do it from here. So we're going to have to move to a bigger market. Right. Well, as, as bands tend to do, it sort of fell apart. <laughs> And we didn't end up, you know, moving anywhere. And then our guitar player moved away. And we sort of kind of tossed around the idea of finding a new guitar player. But in the end, we just really didn't feel like it was going to work. So we kind of went our separate ways as, as far as that started to go. And like I said, by that time, I had no interest in being a teacher. And this was like late fall of 2016. It was already too late to find any teaching jobs anyway, whether I right. whether I wanted one or not. Because again, I was under the impression we were going to move somewhere. So I wasn't trying to lock myself down for a year around here. Yeah, that makes sense. And so what I ended up doing was um, Music Villa, which is the the local guitar, drum, you know, music shop here. They have a lesson school, and they were looking for somebody to teach guitar. And it paid pretty well. Not that you could get a whole lot of hours doing that because, you know, it's not like most people can take a guitar lesson normal hours, like eight to five. But so I ended up doing that for a little bit. And this is, you know, to kind of make this more relevant to the podcast, I know we bullshitted a lot, which is cool, but this is where I started to enter what I consider like the, like the depression stage of my life. So that was like the first main blow, right? The thing that I'd spent two years doing and we had so much success was just gone. You know, you're you're just in one place and you felt like you were moving a thousand miles an hour. So that whole thing went down and then I couldn't find a teaching job. And so I was, you know, kind of depressed about that, trying to stress and figure out what I was going to do for money. And I'm only qualified to teach music. You know, I can't like walk into an accounting firm and be like, I would like to count money, please. <laughs> and and then and again i this whole time period kind of blends together to me for various reasons um i can't even remember the exact order and in the timeline of when this all happened uh shortly after the band you know <clears throat> went to shit the girl that i was dating at the time i broke up with her and was pretty busted up about that because we dated for like a year and a half. And then not too long after that, my grandpa ended up dying. So they say bad thing comes in threes. Well, that would have been what came in threes for me. So from, oh, about, from about October 2016 to May 2017, I don't, I don't really remember a lot of what happened. Mostly because, A, really depressed. was probably drinking too much and by probably i mean i was and right. because i wasn't working a whole lot and i had no band you know I, I couldn't even have my outlet anymore i would just come home from lessons and would stay up until like two or three in the morning 
sitting in my recliner in my room by myself, get up. And now I practiced a lot. So there at least was that sort of silver lining to this period. I was at least productive in doing that. I didn't stop playing or anything, but get up the next day, do it again, practice a little bit, and then go teach lessons at the store and come back and just pull myself up in my room. So I, whether it was intentional or unintentional, I, I honestly don't even know, but I, I just isolated myself, which is a huge red flag that somebody's got a problem. Right. You know, and I think now more than ever, people are kind of aware to what some of these, you know, signs and, and just red flag sort of behaviors are, but this was like, right when people started focusing on that, but it still wasn't common knowledge. And, you know, I, I still had, uh, Cody, who was the singer in the Bent Bones and is also now the singer in Brother Venus. Um, we've lived together basically since 2016. So he was still here and I had friends and stuff like that, but I just, you know, I lost the thing that I, you know, didn't put all my eggs in that basket because I at least still graduated and got my degree, but had really just sort of put all my time and energy into focusing on that because I was so convinced that it was going to happen and we were going to make it. And did I expect us to make a lot of money? No, but I at least expected to, you know, be able to put food in my mouth and, and make it to the next show. And, you know, when you lose something like that after all those years of, of work and then all the years of, of hard work, even to get to that point, you just get super down. And I felt it really, really hard. And that whole, like I said, that whole depression era, that six month sort of period is easily the the most sad I've ever been and just irritable and isolating. It just stuck. Like, I'm sure you've probably gone through periods of your life that were like that for various reasons. Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, I, it's I, been crippling at times and there's been a lot of times that i've isolated myself or like didn't talk to anybody just always irritated grumpy tired it's like crippling and you have no like ambition to get out of bed in the morning again another huge red flag right right but i mean there's there's all sorts of there's all sorts of uh, signs of depression. I mean, there's people that, you know, that are in our group of friends or whatnot. They could be depressed and you see them, you know, dancing all around, partying, happy. But like deep down on the inside they're you know, they could be very depressed. Like even like you're one of your closest friends. I mean, if you don't, uh, some people are just really good at hiding it. Like I was pretty good at hiding it, but. You know, nowadays, I came to realize, you know, it's good to just let that stuff out and talk to somebody because if you bottle it all up and don't tell anybody, you know, it could end badly. Absolutely. And, and to reiterate your point, like a lot of people, excuse me, a lot of people display that they're going through depression totally differently. Like some people like me just totally wore it on my sleeve and had no ability to hide the fact that I was seriously not in a good place and then there's other people like you were saying that 
just go through life and just seem to be killing it and have everything put together and they never talk about it. And then finally they tell you they're like, or that they're depressed and going through a hard time. And you're like, I never would have thought that. And that's a huge thing that you have to go, go through with as a teacher is all sorts of training and online classes about the signs of, of depression because, and again, I don't know if it's because we just know more about it now. So we know what to look for, or if kids are just actually that much more depressed than they've ever been, probably column A, column B, you know, there's so many kids that are depressed. So it's a huge thing now that you've got to be on the lookout for. And, and some of these displayed behaviors, including the ones that don't display any of that behavior. And that's kind of the scariest thing is when you can't, you know, you don't even know. Yeah. I mean, like, I'd like to say that I'm, I'm pretty good judge of character, but there are people, there are a lot of people that I honestly, I have no idea of like what, what could be going through their head and they could even have a smile on their face and you just don't know because they don't talk about it. They don't even talk about it like to themselves or shit. Admitting it to yourself is the hardest thing. I think I think like that has to come way before you can tell anybody else because if you don't think that it's a problem you know exactly basically like being a drug addict or an alcoholic right if you don't even see the issue with your behavior then there's no way that you're even going to take any step to fixing it because you got to acknowledge there's a problem to begin with yeah 100 percent. and you know not not to say that i handled this the best way because i certainly didn't and would have done a lot of things different in hindsight but so what everybody about basically everything they've done is at least I still had my passion for music. You know, I, I didn't just totally give it up because what a lot of people will do when they're in those states of mind is they just, they can't even do the things that they like to do, which is a huge telltale sign. But I, I had all this time. And so I was going to use it because the only other thing that I would have been able to do is sit around and feel sorry for myself, which I think is, you know, one of the worst things that you can do. Not to say that I didn't do my fair share of doing that. Like I said, I would come home from lessons and just sit in my room by myself. So yeah, I right. did that, but I at least would use my time in the mornings before going to the store to teach to just to practice. Cause it's the only thing that I had at this point. It's the only thing that I knew how to do. And I spent four years at school practicing all the time, every day for whatever ensembles I was in, or even just stuff that I wanted to learn how to play. So I, I kept that going and never really lost sight of that and had to leave, had to leave some cheesy notes to myself, like on my, <laughs> on my desk and stuff, you know, like there's even one that I actually still have on there. It's um, don't lose sight of the dream. It's all going to pay off. And have I broken into the music industry in any sort of profound way? And made a lot of money no but that's you know not not really what the dream had to be i i ended up joining some other bands and keeping my passion for it and being successful in that and like i said sure i'm you know i still have to have a day job but i'm still doing what i want to do not all the time but a lot more of the time than some other people get to because some people just get so disenfranchised in this business trying to make it that they just quit they get so fed up and just so sick that they just don't play 
like even some people that that I've known from from this music scene playing around, they gave it up for more than a couple of years, and some of them just now started to play again, which which makes me really happy. But it's yeah, it's a fickle thing, man. It's it's so rewarding, but it's so frustrating. But maybe that's why it's so rewarding is because of how frustrating it can be. Yeah, a lot of people don't have that that motivation to stick with it. I mean, like I I took guitar lessons uh, years ago when I was younger, um, and I was getting pretty good at it. And then I was I got that uh, that rock whatever not guitar smith game. I think oh yeah, <clears throat> a rocksmith or whatever it was called. Uh, and then I was playing that. That was pretty cool. And then I taught myself how to play metallica's fade to black like the the chorus of that hell and, yeah uh, dude second song i ever learned <laughs> yeah and then like i could still play it today it might take me a few minutes to like my my hands to remember the chords and stuff like i don't remember them but like my my hands do and my brain somehow just does it like i don't even look at the guitar i just I just do it. I mainly would just watch my pick hand and make sure I'm plucking the right strings. Uh, but eventually I just gave up on it. And like, I see my amp every single day. It's sitting from moving. It's still sitting there on the passenger floorboard of my, of my forerunner, uh, nice fender amp. And my guitar is just sitting right here in a case. And, uh, I've always wanted to, pick it back up but i mean i just never really found the motivation to sit there and try to learn more and now nowadays there's a lot of like you want to learn a song you just go on youtube and type in blah blah, blah the song name and then guitar lesson and then you'll get multiple uh videos of people that are just you know sitting there with you basically just teaching you but that's not as good as a live lesson but Nowadays, you can do everything over the internet. Do like a Zoom guitar lesson or something with some guy that's really good in another state. That's another thing that kind of blows my mind with just how how the music sphere is now and how the education sphere is now. That's so much different than when I was learning how to play. And, you know, for as much as they tout this next generation of kids and how they good at how good they are at technology and they're just so intuitive and stuff. It blows my mind that you'll have a kid be like, Oh, I can't figure out how to like do this thing. I'm like, well, you know, if you're at home doing it, just look up a video on YouTube and they're like, you can do that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And so I think it, it just blows my mind that the technology to do these things is so much more available in fact, it was not even existent uh -oh. when I was learning. But there's so many kids that just don't even take advantage of it or even Technical know difficulties. That it's and that just absolutely blows my mind, especially with you know how much touted is the technology generation. It seems like they're really good at finding out how to play games and things they want to do like that. But in terms of you know figuring things out that you could just do a quick Google search for, I don't really see it. Did I lose you? Okay, yeah, so, yeah, so it's I pretty crazy. Uh-oh, and then it cut out. <laughs> oh. 
Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, we're, we're back. Going, we're going again. So, so yeah, I guess yeah, there is a lot of kids out there that are you know they have the tools to learn and do stuff like that when they don't have like the money or whatever to go see somebody in person and they can just go on YouTube, but they, what you're saying is they choose not to. It's like a motivation thing, I think. Cause if you're not motivated to do anything, you're not going to do it. Right. Right. So just because it's there doesn't mean people are going to take advantage of it. Now, certainly a lot of people do. I think that's largely why there's so many musicians that just kick ass nowadays is the ability to share information and techniques and opinions and all this stuff is just so much, it's so much easier to find than it ever used to be. I mean, I guess it would have started on the, on the primitive internet with forums and stuff, but that was just people, you know, chat rooms talking about stuff. It wasn't like a video where somebody could, you know, see exactly how they're doing it and what they're doing because internet was way too slow for that back then. Yeah. Yeah. It blows my mind. And, uh, you were talking about how you, you have a guitar and an amp and it's just not something you've been doing. Um, I think it's really, it's really hard to be super motivated to practice if there's not, like a goal. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're playing in a band, your, your goal of that practice is even if you're not practicing the stuff you're playing with that band, but you're, you're getting better so that you can be a better player for your band, you know, and then you play better in live shows and certain things like that. To me, playing drums by myself isn't so much of this, but unless I'm actively sitting down trying to like write something on guitar or work on a song that we're playing or something like that, or working on a set list, it's kind of hard for me to, to play by myself. And drums doesn't seem to be as, as much of a problem for that because I still have lots of, you know, technique things that I like to work on and reading exercises but then at the end of every practice session, I just plug my iPad into my mix board and just play with whatever songs I want to play. Cause it's just, it's way too much fun not to. Yeah. But guitar just was never as much fun to do that with for me. And I mean, I still play guitar all the time and, and certainly more than I have in a while, just cause I'm actually playing guitar in a band again. But there was a long time, like when I was in, um, in college, I my primary instrument was percussion, so I was playing a lot of drums and things like that. And then when I was in the Bent Bones, I played bass guitar. So there was a whole long time where I really didn't play much guitar at all. And now it's sort of flip-flop because I don't play bass in a band anymore. I honestly hardly ever play bass anymore. <clears throat> Which one do you like to play the most? Um, You know, probably drums. Just because you get to sit there and beat the shit out of them. Yeah, and there's something really therapeutic about that too, man. Like that's, it's it's really good for for working out your demons, you know. Because instead of punching a hole in the drywall, you can just, you know, get on your kid and take your frustration or whatever negative feelings you got and just put it all into the drum set. 
And I guess that was my main sort of strategy, like we were discussing earlier about getting out of the the depression period was I was playing a lot of drums. <laughs> I was playing a lot of drums, dude. Yeah. I mean, the main thing with like the number one thing I think with dealing with uh, like anxiety or depression is like trying to find a way to keep your mind occupied and most definitely playing an instrument or multiple instruments, you know, that's requiring you to use your brain and, you know, kind of push those shitty thoughts out aside and focus on the now what is going on right in this moment and that exactly see and that's that's sort of a thing that that frustrates frustrates me a little bit too is i've told people about this period of my life before and you know what i i thought really really didn't work for me and what i thought really did in terms of you know, making the best of it and then eventually pulling myself out of that slowly is people get really mad at me when I tell them that at least for me, and I'm sure I can't be the only one that making yourself go do things is good for you. Like, yeah, I get it. You don't want to leave your house. You don't want to go see your friends. But every single time I would make myself go and do that, I would have so much fun. And even if it was just for six hours, it was a six hour reprieve from all the bullshit that was weighing me down constantly. So when people are like, well, you, you don't have clinically diagnosed depression, so you can't tell people what would and wouldn't work for them. I go, I'm not, I'm not doing that. And it shouldn't matter whether or not you have a clinical diagnosis or not, because I feel like most people to varying degrees and lengths of time and severity have experienced depression in these feelings. And I I don't, I guess I don't really get why people would get so irritated when I'd be like, well, I think when you sit there and do nothing, the only thing that your brain can do is think about how shitty you feel and how shitty you think your life is and how you're never going to get out of it. And you just spiral. Right. I'm not, I'm not saying that everybody is like that or, or anything like that, but you know, at least for me, doing anything was better than just sitting there and wallowing in that shit. And again, I did plenty of that. And that's kind of how I made the connection of what was making me feel better and what was making me feel worse. Like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to get up and get out of bed and start playing drums. But once I did every day, it was awesome. And it gave me that reprieve or I didn't want to go out for drinks with my friends, but then I would do it and I would feel so much better and no, it doesn't fix the problem, but it, anything that you can do to reprieve yourself of feeling like that, because nobody wants to feel like that. Nobody should feel like that. So, I, I mean, obviously whatever works for you, but yeah, it's just always but... really frustrating when people get all mad at me because they feel like I am harming their existence or something almost by saying, well, have you tried like going out and doing something? Oh, I don't want to. Okay. Don't yell at me. I get that (laughs) you don't want to. I didn't want to either, (laughs) but I did. So try it. But I, I just, I guarantee that if you're feeling like that and all you're doing is binge watching Netflix, drinking and smoking pot and just being in your own head about it, it's not, it's probably not going to help you. 
and maybe it's not making it worse, but I just, I don't think it's really going to help you either. Yeah. So there's something that I heard, I think yesterday or the day before, um, it's basically depression is not something that's, uh, just in your mind. It's something that you feel in your body as much as it's in your head. It's also in your stomach. Having, having anxiety and depression is like being scared and tired at the same exact time. It's fear, fear of failure, but no urge to be productive. It's wanting friends, but hate socializing. It's wanting to be alone, but not wanting to be lonely. It's feeling everything at once, then feeling paralyzing, numb. This is what anxiety and depression feels like at times. It's fear that causes anxiety. You have to stop listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Some people are so deep into depression that they're looking for reasons to stay alive, looking for reasons to keep going, to keep breathing. For anyone listening and is struggling with depression, you don't have to look anywhere other than in yourself to find that reason. You yourself are that reason. Keep going. You guys know you can do it. I believe in each and every one of you guys. And, uh, When you feel afraid or anxious and feel like you can't control what's happening, challenge yourself. Try to control the way that you respond to what's happening because that's where all your power is. And that's just, uh, that's something that I put in my notes on my phone that, uh, that I was waiting to, uh, share on the podcast. And today was the day. Yeah, that's, that's very true, man. And the, the very first part of that, you're talking about how it has physical, effects and manifestations on you yeah like you get that being depressed is so bad for your health like your brain can do all sorts of fucked up shit like if you are just totally convinced that your life sucks and it's the worst thing you're gonna feel adverse physical and health related impacts of that because your brain can manifest these things in such a weird way like if you Oh, I'm just always sick all the time, which tends to go hand in hand with being depressed. It's because your brain can kind of do all of that for you. And, and that's oh, super yeah. weird to me. And what was what was it that Steve Moe said last week? He said, um, depression is living in the past and anxiety is living in the future or something like that. Yeah. That was a super good quote. Yeah. That no, was awesome. He's- He's always got some good ones on deck. Uh, the one that I'm going to read the one that he sent me this morning. Yeah, go for it. Um, <laughs> there is no better time to start than right now. One of the worst things you can do is keep giving yourself passes or excuses to not do things that better yourself. Um, yeah, that's a pretty good one there. It is. And, you know, there's a lot of things that my friends did that that really helped me in this time and again it's not like i was actively telling people how i felt all the time that's just not really you know what i what i do a lot of the time and especially back then just what i did you know even doing this podcast is kind of you know a lot for me to you know reveal to everybody which is fine and it's a, a good growth moment but your your friends really play an important role I mean, especially if you're lucky enough to have friends that are actually good friends and care about you. Like my friends had to bug the shit out of me to do anything. 
And they did. And that's always been a thing with my friends is, you know, not even about depression or anything, but you know, you have to bug your friends if you want them to hang out. So, you know, they would bug me and egg me on be like, Oh, come on, just, just come out for drinks. It'll be fun. We're going to go see this band. Let's, let's go do it. And if they hadn't done that, I probably wouldn't have gone off my ass and, and done any of that. And so if you know that one of your friends is, is really going through it rough, you know, you don't have to be annoying or anything and be a pest, but just ask them to do stuff. And even if they say no 99 times, but then the hundredth time they finally cave and you get them to just come out with you, it's going to make a difference. Yeah, for sure. And even if they say no 99 more times after that, just just do it still. Because if nothing else, it shows that person that you're thinking about them. And whether they equate that or are thinking about it like that or not, it's it's good to know that somebody is thinking about you in that sort of way, even if you blow them off and tell them no. So if, if you've got friends that are going through that, just don't don't give up and be like, oh, well, they always say no. So I guess we're just going to say no. No, don't let them win. Don't let that that way that they're feeling take over their whole life. And you can help them with that. Yeah, I know of several, several people in the past that would constantly try to get me to come hang out when I was going through my shit. And, uh, you know, I would just say, you know, no, whatever, come up with excuses left and right. Uh-huh. And then eventually they just stopped inviting me to do things. And then that almost you know, feels worse. Yeah. Because you know? you're Cause like, well, you, shit, I've said no so many times that even they're burnt out on trying to get me out. Yeah. Now they don't even Now It's like, well, now then I was feeling, oh, well, I guess they just they must not like me anymore or whatever. But I mean, that's that wasn't the case at all. They just. They, they didn't know what I was going through. They just probably thought that I didn't want to hang out with them because I was so good at hiding it. Right. But now everything's out in the open and I'm, you know, I'm on a better path. And now we got this podcast and I'm hopefully trying to help or hopefully going to help people. I mean, trying to, you know, sometimes we're going to get off topic and a podcast here, podcast there is going to be you know, random other bullshit that's going on in the world, but that's you know, that's right. cool too, though, because I think a large part of why people like podcasts so much, especially when it's like, you know, a group of people is it just feels like you're in a room with friends, exactly. even if you have no idea who these people are, you just, you feel like you're at a seat at the table with people and just, and, and bullshitting with them. So, you know, as much as it's good to focus on, on what, the main message is and what the main objective is. I think having those moments interwoven in there too is, is good because that way it's not just heavy all the time. Cause this is a heavy subject matter. Oh yeah. 100%. And I, I think your, you know, your goal of reaching out to all these different people that you know is, is going to help people because the more people that talk about their experiences and what worked for them and what didn't is going to resonate with more people because there's going to be more more information to dissect because not everything that worked for me is going to work for someone else because you know yeah obviously my friends making me come out and do stuff more was a big part of it but it also has to be a conscious decision that the person who's suffering from this makes 
but there's other external factors that were there for me that other people might not have. Like I got asked to be, um, I got asked to play drums for this band that was called Gear Horse. And like I said, I hadn't played in a band in like nine months at that point. So just somebody asking me to be in their band or audition or whatever it was and just go out and gig again, that was absolutely instrumental because the people that would come out and see us, like their friends and my friends, we would just go and hang out before the show and after the show and and all of that stuff. So as much as it was giving me, you know, something to do, like I've got my mojo back, you know, and like plan, it was the social aspect that came along with that too. It was really like the double whammy that sort of, you know, it, it didn't solve all of my problems and it wasn't like, oh, now I'm magically not like this anymore. It was still a journey to get from there to here and there's peaks and valleys and all of that, but to at least get out of the darkest part of it, that was right. super, super huge and got, got my head screwed on more straight than it had been in a long time and really more focused on the things that I, I thought would be better for me yeah granted i got fired from that band but that i did okay it's funny i i never got officially fired they never like kicked me out or anything but this is also the period of my life when um i started playing in a cover band with mike who is the singer and plays guitar in liquid nar we were playing in a cover band with um two older guys who had been around, you know, the cover band thing for a while. Um, a guy that I student taught with, and he was Mike's band teacher actually. And so Mike and I were hanging out at my house after one of those shows. And we figured out that we, we liked metal and he's like, Oh, well we should, we should probably jam sometime. So that's, you know, what eventually became liquid Nar. And when we finally got started going in that, and that was like October or November of 2017. I'd also got a full-time teaching job. So I wasn't able to do all of these weeknight shows that the guys in Gear Horse really like to do. And it started out as like, oh, okay, that's fine. We'll, we'll find another drummer that can cover all the gigs that you can't do. And then that eventually turned into, I never got called about a gig ever again. <laughs> Oh, geez. So I, I didn't really get fired. I just never got called for any more gigs. And it, it was fine. Like, there were no hard feelings at all. I think those guys realized that I was definitely going to be more invested in Liquid Nar anyway. And so, you know, it, it ended on good terms. It wasn't like anybody was, was mad about it. It just ended up working out better for everybody. Well, that's good that you, uh, you guys are all still cool. Yeah, everybody's fine. And then like I said, so being in that band full-time and then also getting a full-time teaching job that sort of fell into my lap, just the fact that more of my time was occupied than it had been the whole prior year, it was a lot harder to find myself in those moments of staying up until two or three in the morning, being like, well, I guess this is just my life now because I had to get up super early again. So I wasn't staying up all night and was was occupied during the day with other things and that was absolutely huge for me too because i just didn't have all that time to stew so yeah. as, as much you know as much stress as teaching is and 
there's stressors about that that can enter your life. It's at least not that you're so bored all the time that you're thinking about all that bullshit. It's certainly not that, at least not for me. Yeah. Man. Depression's a real, real killer, man. It's a bitch. It's no, it's no joke. No laughing matter. Yeah. And then there's all those, all those kids at school that are, you know, that are different, uh, different than everybody else. They're unique, you could say. And then they get bullied for it just for being themselves. They get bullied for it. And then like I had friends in high school that, that had killed themselves because of getting bullied and it's absolutely terrible. Yeah, that's something that you always kind of have in the back of your mind as a teacher, too, because you know who those kids are. You know, you you can see who the kids are that, you know, make lots of friends and all that. Like, it's it's fairly obvious as an adult. And to just always have that in the back of your head is, you know, I hope that kid's okay. You know, because you know they might not have friends or they don't have that safety net of a good family at home. And that's like the double whammy. And then they get busted for like smoking pot at school. You're like, it's a lot of really bad, bad signs that just tend to compound. Messes with your brain chemistry. You can't do nothing about it. Yeah, your hands are tied. You can't really do much other than just try to be there for the kid, but you can't get too personal with them. No. And if kids, if kids want to talk to you, they'll talk to you. And even if it's something as simple as like, I'm just, I'm really not having a good day. Can I just like kind of chill and sit? You're like, yeah, cool. Okay. I'm not, I'm, I know what's, I I don't know what's going on, but I know that you're not doing well. So I'm not going to bark at you for not playing today. Whereas like, kids that show up and just sit there with eyes glazed over and don't do anything. You might be like, Hey, are you actually going to join us today? <laughs> you know, you might poke them in the ribs a little bit, so to speak with that. But you know, sometimes it's just as simple as that as a kid telling you it was yeah. a rough day. Okay, cool. You don't got to tell me anything that you don't want to tell me, but thanks for letting me know because that lets me know how I need to react to what is going on for you. Cause you're going to be something different for every kid. You know, yeah, some kids exactly. might not have that bond with you at all because of, you know, they just don't get along with you and all they do is talk in your class. So all you ever do is tell them, Hey, quit talking in my class. So they're like, that guy's so annoying. All he ever does is tell me not to talk in class. And then there's other kids that just absolutely love you and might not say anything to you ever. And you have no idea. And you'll just get a parent email that was like, oh, when, when you complimented so-and-so on how they played, that like made their whole day. And you're like, really? And they're like, yeah, they're never going to tell you, but sometimes their parents do. And it's, it's a thankless job, but then sometimes you get, get some things like that, you know, some random email from a parent and you're like, okay, I actually am having a positive influence on some of these kids. Yeah. That gives you some motivation there too. Oh, absolutely. And again, it doesn't necessarily outweigh the negatives of, of things that come along with that and the, the stresses and stuff, but it does help for sure. <clears throat> right. And again, not, not being a core teacher, I think 
is a little bit better for that because at least in the way that my school is structured, if a kid doesn't want to be in band, they're not going to be in band. I mean, unless their parents sign them up for it, but it's not like a math class where every kid has to take it. So the kids that don't want to be there are going to be extra shitty to you. So you do have it a little bit better that way. And especially in terms of like, Oh, why did you grade my kid's assignment so bad? It's like, well, that's the incorrect way of looking at it. They got a bad grade on the assignment because they didn't do it right or they didn't do it. But that doesn't stop parents from yelling at you, I guess. Yeah, and then you're the bad guy. Exactly. And so thankfully, I don't really have to deal with that too much. Because most of the kids want to be there. Yeah, you know, most of the kids want to be there. And this will be my third year um, at the school I'm at now. And I feel like I'm building a culture of like, you know, he wants us to be good and he can help us be good, but we got to shut the fuck up and listen to this guy. Otherwise he can't get (laughs) a word in and no, it's never going to be perfect. They're 12. You're always going to have kids that are doing that. It's just the reality of being a middle school band teacher. But as long as the kids know that like, oh, when, when we're actually trying and not interrupting all the time. He's actually a nice guy and he says all this funny shit all the time. But then when we don't do that, then it's not fun. And so, you know, the kids have to learn you just as much as you have to learn them. You know, they learn, they got to learn what your deal is. Right. And some kids want to push your buttons. Sure. So you just, you don't give them the satisfaction of it. You just kick them out. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. We'll try again tomorrow. See ya. <laughs> uh, so, and then the, the kids that actually want to be there, they're like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, and that's that's another a, a cool thing that's kind of started to happen is those kids that I've really got to buy in and that really know that they can be good if they just listen to at least like one out of every five things I say. <laughs> if, if a kid's just you know, ruining it for everybody and just is not letting progress happen. They'll get pissed. Oh, really? Oh yeah. Like they'll, they'll kind of handle it for you. They'll just be like, Hey, can, can you stop? We're we're done. And you're like, yeah, (laughs) cool. I didn't even have to say anything. The problem corrected itself. I didn't have to be a bad guy today. That's right. So they'll, they'll police themselves. If you can get those, those kids that, you know, have the ability to be a leader and not just like somebody who's just, you know, crabby and bitchy at everybody all the time. Cause nobody likes that person. Yeah, for sure. Cause there's, there's lots of different ways that you can find motivation for them. And sometimes you can tell them the exact same thing a hundred thousand times. And then you'll have like a guest director come in and they'll say it, or one of the kids will say it. And that's what makes it click. It wasn't, the millions of times that you said it, it was the one time that somebody who wasn't you said it. And then they're like, Oh, whoa, really? And you want to beat your head against the wall. You're like, why didn't you listen to me when I said it? But okay, whatever, whatever works for you. (laughs) Selective hearing, selective hearing. And just, you know, maybe they liked the way that that person said it more, or just the fact that it was a kid because a thing that I do before every concert is I'll make, recordings and so we'll go through and play through all the pieces and then the very next day we sit there and we listen to it 
and then I go, okay, does anybody have any comments, good or bad? You know, let's not like specifically call people out and be like, well, Timmy sucked at that part. Let's let's not do that. But like, how how was our tuning? Were we in tune? How is our balance? Is the percussion way too loud? And they'll go through and they'll tell the entire class what they think. And sometimes the kid goes, one, one time a kid went, if we play like that at the concert, that's going to be embarrassing. And the whole <laughs> room went quiet as soon as they said that because they knew that it was true. Yeah. How did you react to that? I just said, you know, I don't disagree with that. We played it better than that. And the fact that we're not right now is a problem. You know, all I can tell you is what the problems are. I can't tell you why it's happening. Maybe your brain's somewhere else today. I don't know, but you got to figure that out. Yeah. I'm sure it gets tough. Frustrating. Dude, some days are grueling. And you got to um, try to keep your cool. Yeah, and they like to do this thing where concerts are a lot of work. There's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, especially in a bigger school district. Like you got to be in communication with all the parents about this and that. You got to know what the sports schedule is. You got to know when they're testing and tell the teachers when you're going to have the kids for dress rehearsals. There's like a lot of shit that goes on and you get really stressed out about it and the music should just happen. Right. So I feel like I do most of the time a pretty good job about giving the kids the music early enough that we're not struggling to play anything right up until the concert, but also not early enough to where they play it super good for like a month. So they're bored and then they start playing it like shit because they're bored. And so it'll be like two weeks before the concert and things are like great and I'm super stoked about it. And I'm like telling everybody how good this concert's going to be. And then like the week before the concert, everything just like turns to shit. And you're like, we've had all of these problems fixed for like three weeks. What is happening? And the whole week before that, the rehearsals just suck. And you're like, am I going to have to like pull these pieces because we can't play them? Because the last thing you ever want to do in a concert is have to stop because nobody knows where you're at and start again. And so when you're going through those pieces the week before and that starts to happen, you're like, oh no. And then the day of the concert, they like decide they want to play good again. And then it's like the best they've ever played it. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, freaking out and like dealing with all this logistical stuff. And when the music isn't happening, I'm just in such a bad mood. I'm like, you guys, what is happening here? And then they just show up to the concert and absolutely kill it. And then the next day I'm like, hey, you guys killed it. But, you know, if you could not do that the whole week before. I would be super thankful and in a way better mood, and I'm sure you would enjoy that. Maybe they're doing it on purpose just to screw with you. You know, they might, which totally <laughs> sucks because I don't know how to respond to it in any other way. But I I try not to get you know, ever to the point where I'm like mad and yelling at them about like not playing good, but I'll just like stop the piece and just be like, Hey, I'm going to level with you guys. Cause I feel like, you know, I respect you enough, but that was horrible. And the only reason I'm saying that is because I've heard us play it way better than that. And that was just bad because they, they appreciate when you're real. I mean, yeah. I, I definitely know I was like that when I was a kid 
even when I was in elementary school, I didn't like the teachers that were all like, Okay, class, now we're going to go and we're going to sing this song about the flower. It's going to be so amazing. That just wasn't who I was, so I never resonated with that. And so when I, when I would have teachers that would just level with you like that, it made me respect them more because I knew that it was real and I knew they weren't faking anything. So yeah, I try to never fake it and I never ever tell them something sounds good when I know that it doesn't. Yeah. And that's also something I start with them all the way in fifth grade, you know, fifth grade band's always not going to sound very good, right? So your expectations are going to be different, but I, I just, I tell them, you can always trust me to give you an honest opinion about how that sounded. Cause I will never tell you it was good when it wasn't. I just won't because it's not going to help you. I'm going to tell you the things that I heard that make me say that I'm not going to, I'm not just going to say, Oh, that was bad. And then they're sitting there going, okay, well, what was bad? It's like this specific spot, this thing wasn't good. And then in this specific spot, it seemed like everybody totally got lost. And you're like, yeah, we did. So you're, you're kind of walking that dichotomy of they're starting to be young adults. And as much as they seek validation, they also seek realism and most of the time they're pretty good at sniffing out bullshit <laughs> yeah do you ever uh do you ever have to record them and then like play it back to them oh yeah before every single concert i do that like two weeks before because it you know it takes a whole day to just get all those recordings made and then the next day you just spend the whole class period listening to that and then you know, again, then they know exactly what it sounds like, because this goes for, you know, even like professional musicians, there's a big difference between you could be in the moment, be like, man, this sounds really good. And then you actually listen to it on a recording and you're like, oh, I did not hear all of that because you're not you're not using any brain power by trying to play it. All your brain power can be used to analyze it. And so once they have that opportunity, because they don't ever get it before that, then they're like, okay, well, we got two weeks to, to fix this. And they tell each other what needs to get fixed. And obviously I'll interject and do things like that. So yeah, I, I do record them. I don't do it a lot though, just because like I said, it does, it does take a lot of time. Oh, I bet. But yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm glad you're doing good, man. Glad you're happy yeah, and out certainly of your, a lot better and out of your funk and finally have reached your uh, reached your goals that you were shooting for originally. You That's know, and there's cool. there's still work to do because as much as teaching can be fun sometimes, it's also kind of a drag other times. And it was never my my like number one passion. And that that might make it sound really negative. Like I'm passionate about it. But it was never like, oh, I want to do this specifically because I want to be a teacher. It's like, no, I wanted to do this because I wanted to do something music related. And this was kind of the only stable job. So the works to me, the work is not done until I can, whether it's for a year or forever, put the day job aside and, you know, go, go tour. That's what I wanted to do. That's what made me pick up a guitar was I, you know, would see these Metallica documentaries about them being in a studio and, and being on the road. And I was like, I want to do that. 
And is that going to be like a, a peachy lifestyle with no stress? Absolutely not. It's going to have its own stress, but you know, being in a studio and being out on tour is, you know, really where it's at for me. So still, still working on that. I get to do that, which is awesome, but I, I would like that to be my main source of income and then maybe say bye to teaching for a little bit, take a break from it. Yeah. Well, I mean, if it goes the way you want it to, I mean, you'll be more than busy just playing shows and you won't have time to be a teacher. Really. Right. Not, not in the, in the traditional way, like in a school, but a lot of musicians, what they will do is, you know, when they come off a tour and they got a break, they'll be like, Hey, I got, you know, all these open lesson slots and they'll take zoom lessons or, you know, in-person lessons and stuff like the, uh, <clears throat> the drummer, Jason Bittner from shadows fall. That's what he does whenever he's not on tour is he just takes a lot of lessons. So, you know, there's going to be, it's very hard to make all of your money just from touring and recording. Cause you really don't make money on making albums anymore. So you got to have multiple different angles and ways to attack it, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I enjoy teaching lessons. Well, that's good. A lot of, a lot of people, you know, they make good money off of just sitting there teaching lessons, whether it's guitar or, or whatnot. And even Dude, if you private don't go lessons big makes big buck, he makes big bucks. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I think, I don't remember how much my mom was paying for it, but I think it was like 30 bucks a a half hour lesson or something like that. Yeah. I charge 30 for a half hour or 50 for, uh, 50 for a full hour. So you do kind of prorate it a little bit. Yeah. I mean, 50 bucks, 60 bucks an hour. I mean, that ain't bad. It's pretty good. I make. And not that, you know, I actually don't know anybody that teaches privately that does that 40 hours a week. Cause if you're making, if you're making 30 bucks, 40 hours a week, you're making like 56,000 bucks a year. So if you're making 50 bucks an hour, 40 hours a week, you're making, you know, 70 or 80,000 bucks a year. It's pretty good, but it's, it's hard to do that 40 hours a week. Hard to have yeah, the time I mean, to do that and have other people that can take lessons because your main yeah, bread and butter hours are going to be four to eight. Cause that's when people get done with school or get done with work. Right. And you're like, man, I'd rather just be done with my day. <laughs> yeah. I like getting up early in the morning and then being done by like four. I don't like that. That was probably my least favorite thing about that gig was kind of waiting around to go to work all day. And then you'd work from like three to eight. <laughs> and then you get home and then everybody else is like ready for bed. And you're like, ah, yeah, it's tough. Well, that's what you're doing now, right? You're working like four to midnight. Three to 11. Oh, second man. shift. Whew. It's not Do you bad, ever rotate though. or do they just no, keep you on that? No. no, it's just a fixed schedule, but everything, everything there is uh, seniority based. So um, you got to bid on jobs that come up. So whoever has the highest seniority on the list, if they bid the job, anybody below them doesn't get it. They get yeah. it. So tough shit. Work your way up. <laughs> Yeah, so the job that I am holding now is second shift, 3 to 11, with Tuesdays and Wednesdays off. Yeah, it sucks. 
I've been Tuesdays, Wednesdays off or Wednesday, Thursdays off for wherever in the middle of the week for the last like six months. And so I rarely ever get to do anything with like friends or family unless it's like in the evenings on Tuesday or Wednesday, but nobody's, nobody's out doing much on a Tuesday or Wednesday evening. Yeah, so, everybody's got to get up in the morning, so they're not trying to go and do nothing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, everybody's going out and doing fun fun things on the weekends and, uh, like, invite me. But it's like, oh, sorry, I uh, I can't. I got to I gotta work. I'm at work. Yeah. You know? Well, but. as long as you're making enough money and you don't absolutely hate the work, I think that's kind of that's yeah. what everybody should strive for because a lot of people absolutely hate their job and get paid like shit so you know if you oh, can yeah. get both of those to the point where yeah you're never gonna love your job all the time like even if i was out on tour and in the studio am i gonna love my job all the time no i think that's kind of unrealistic but as long as you don't just spend every day being like fuck this job i can't stand this i think yeah, you're doing sure. okay well so there i mean get paid really well and i mean shit i've been paid half as much to work twice as hard at other jobs and right. uh yeah i mean it's it is easy work it is super easy it's not really that back-breaking work most people don't don't really understand how working on train cars or real cars any sort of r train repairs or anything how it works but I mean, we basically have a piece of machinery, piece of equipment for lifting certain things and this and that. And you don't really have to pick up anything that's very heavy by hand. And then inspecting trains is, you know, fairly simple, fairly easy. And then if you find something that's broken. Since I'm on second shift, we're only in the yard, really. So we don't really do many heavy repairs so those all those cars just get sent back to the repair track and then day shift repairs them and then they get sent out of there so i'm basically just always in the yard inspecting tracks and uh yeah that's just walking walking miles see and that's good for you and it doesn't sound like it's you know like back breaking manual labor because those jobs you know can pay pretty good and you can certainly do them when you're in your early 20s and maybe even your late 20s. But seeing a lot of people that do those jobs a little bit too long and they're just like busted up and broken by the time they're like 45 years old because it's just hard on you. Oh, yeah. Any sort of mechanical stuff like like mechanics. I mean, crawling all over rigs and stuff their whole life, you know, like doing my dad. roofing or asphalt. Yeah. <laughs> I got oh, mad for respect sure. for people that do that because it's just so physically demanding, dude. Oh yeah. Not fun work at all. Yeah. I'm sure it pays good. I'm sure they get paid better than me, but I also, I might have mentally backbreaking work at times, but it's never physically <laughs> backbreaking because they get mad at me for lifting too much stuff. <laughs> oh Yeah struggles of life the weekly struggle indeed yep well i guess we're just wrapping stuff up here um 
if there's anything uh, you'd like to say to the listeners, now would be the time. Sweet. Yeah, man. It's been good to chat with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Glad to have you, man. Thanks for sharing all your life struggles there with your musician career and being a teacher and stuff. I'm sure a lot of people will will like to hear about that. And sure, some people can relate that are also teachers and are listening. Well, and hopefully it helps. Hopefully it helps anybody at all. But, you know, even if you're not a musician, hopefully some of the the things that ended up working for me can can help somebody else. Um, going to do a little bit of a plug here. So uh, my band brother Venus just put out our first single two weeks ago, and that's on Spotify. So you can find it there. And then Liquid Nar, we haven't put out anything since last year, but we do have all of our stuff up on Spotify as well. So if you want to check out any of that and get inside my head a little bit, it's a good place to nice. do that. Right on. Yeah, I'll check it out. I I didn't even know that stuff was on Spotify. Yeah, Shoot, it's, it's pretty much everywhere. YouTube, um, <laughs> anybody that has Deezer. I've never met anybody that has that, but Apple Music, all of that stuff. Nice. Yeah. Well, uh, okay. I, anybody that also is listening, and if you would like to be on the show and share your struggles, you can go ahead and send us an email. And that is at the weekly struggle podcast at gmail.com. And uh, I will try to respond to any emails as quick as I possibly can, depending on how many I get. I mean, it could be quick. It could take me a few days or a week, but bear with me. Um, we'll get you on and we will share your stories. But uh, thanks for coming on, Kurt. Yeah, was, thanks for uh, having me. It was a blast. Well, uh, yeah, we'll good to chat, we'll dude. It, yeah, we'll do it again. And uh, good luck with with everything you're doing. Thanks, have man. A, Appreciate have it. A great, have a great summer off. And then back of. to it. <laughs> and then back to it. You only got another month left. Yeah, I don't even want to think about it. But at least you got you still got some time to, you know, make some more songs, make some magic. Got some cool and, uh, gigs coming up too, so I got some things to look forward to before that happens. So, right on. Well, that's good, man. Well, I guess uh, catch you guys later, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks again. See Kurt. ya. Yeah. Later.